0: Kind of kicking off the official start of our of our fall here together, and uh, it's Rally Sunday today. And some of you might be wondering, I haven't heard of this whole rally thing. What's what's that all about? I was actually talking to a friend earlier this week just to just to clarify. And he he uh, he didn't really not doesn't know a lot about the church, and he's outside the church. And I was telling him, like kind of what's coming up. I said, Well, we got Rally Sunday this weekend, and of course, knowing a little bit about sports, uh, he goes, "Is your church losing?" Like, do you need to rally? Are you, are, what are you losing? I said, no, we're not losing, we're winning, of course. And so you don't need to, thanks for not wearing your rally caps today. If you do have a cap on, you're welcome to turn it uh, inside out and backwards and just kind of kind of go with the Rally Sunday theme. But uh, instead, uh, Rally Sunday is not that we're losing. Rally Sunday is a day that we gather together. We kind of set aside this day at the beginning of every fall uh, at Hope at all of our campuses as kind of a, a start of the new year. Sometimes, I don't know if you feel like me sometimes, but sometimes over the summer, things can get a little scattered. Uh, Some of you have been traveling, some of you have been out seeing family, summer's a busy time and there's a lot of stuff going on and we don't get to see each other as a family, as a church family, maybe as often as we do during the school year. And so Rally Sunday is kind of this day when we come back together and say, all right, here we go. We're ready for another year uh, of mission uh, together. And so maybe you've felt that way a little bit and maybe just in your life today, you're just feeling a little scattered. Do you ever feel that way? where just kind of life is all over the place and you're trying to put all the pieces together. Maybe you're a little stressed today, maybe you're a little bit uh, overwhelmed, uh, but we just want you to know that there is a place for you here and you are so welcome here and uh, we we love having you be uh, a part of our family. So uh, Rally Sunday is not necessarily something we made up, but I was thinking about it this week and I was thinking about uh, what makes a great church. And I was thinking about the early church and in fact, I would almost consider that the first Rally Sunday. The, the early church, the early believers kind of had their first uh, rally Sunday, and that's in Acts chapter 2. If you remember Acts chapter 2, there's something that happened that's called Pentecost, and we've talked about that a lot when, when the Holy Spirit came, but what was unique about that day is after Jesus came back from the dead, he told all his followers, much like us today, to get together. You need to be together. You need to be unified. And he told him to go to the upper room. He told him to wait there. And he said, wait here in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the power of my Holy Spirit down. I'm just going to rock your worlds. I'm going to light up your life. But you have to be together. Because if you're scattered and if you're all over the place and you're not unified, then I got a lot more work to do and I got to jump all over the place. But if you're all together and you're unified and you're praying together, which the early believers were doing, I'm going to send the power of my Holy Spirit. And he filled them up that day. And essentially, I believe that was really the first rally Sunday. And so that's what I believe we're doing here today, is that I believe God wants to do something incredible in us today as a church. Today is not just one more Sunday. God wants to give us and fill us up with his power today to send us on mission for the year ahead. God wants us to be everything that we were created to be as his church. God wants us to be a great church. Not to brag or to show off, or, but we are a great church because we have great news. I want you to think about some of the greatest news that you've heard lately. And then I want you to think about this news that we have in Jesus Christ. And how excited we get to share that news sometimes. But we are a great church because we have great news. Even better news than 35 to 7. Okay, moving on. I knew it'd be a delayed reaction. I was just waiting. We'll sneak that in there a few more times. Anyway, it is important that we rally together so that we can uh, kick off this year. And today I want to rally around this idea of what is it that we are called to be as a church? If we have this great news, what, what, who of us does not want to be a part of a great church? Who of us doesn't want to be a part of something that you can't wait to talk about? that you can't wait to come to each week, that you can't wait to be a part of. And of course, you ask that question, what makes a great church? Maybe some of you have been a part of a great church before, and and you miss it, and you're looking for a great church. What is it that makes a great church? And if you ask that question to a group of 100 people, you might get a lot of different answers. But sometimes the first things that come to our mind are, well, you need a great big building. And then... You need lots of money, and you probably need like a really, really good preacher who we can just throw it down from the pulpit, you know, and, and just speak the word of God just, um, in amazing ways. And uh, you, need, you, need a whole bunch of, you need a whole bunch of programs, and we got to just meet everybody's need, and we got we to gotta do all of that. And, and you think about that, and I wonder, all those things are good, and all those things are great, but I think if we've learned anything over the past two years here in this family, in this community, is that maybe there's more to being a great church than just that. Maybe you can have all those things and still not be a great church. You can have all those and be a great church, but maybe there's something more to it. Still others would say, okay, I know what makes a great church. If you've been around the church for a while, we need to be an Acts 2 church, right? That's when the whole thing started before anybody else could get in and screw it up. That was good, right? We need to be an Acts 2 church. If we could just get back to that, it would be great. But if we go back to that first account in Scripture in Acts 2, you can remember at Pentecost, the, the early church just kind of explodes and, and Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel and thousands of people start to follow Jesus. And I wonder, on that day, put yourself in the shoes of the, the early uh, apostles, the early disciples, and, and, and Peter's there with all the other leaders of the church and, and it's not even a church yet. He just stood up and preached the gospel and then all of a sudden 3,000 people are like, uh, now what do we do? Right? And I think I can just imagine Peter turning to his friends and go, oh, shoot. Sorry, guys. I think I just started something, right? I think I just accidentally started a church, right? And from then on, we've got the church that we're a part of. But I wonder, you say, well, we need to be an Acts 2 church. What if someone would have come up to Peter long before Acts was written, and we had that to read, and, and they asked Peter, you know, you this Jesus and he's going back up to heaven and you know what are you going to do now and and they say Peter what kind of church are you going to start and Peter goes yeah I'm going to start an Acts. no what would Peter say they didn't have Acts to read about how to be a church right so what did they have what is it that at the very foundation makes a great church whatever they had it changed the world What did the church in Acts 2 have that they could rally around? Well, three things. If you're keeping score at home on your bulletin, here's three things that I think the early church had. I believe the early church had. Number one, they had the teachings of Jesus, right? These people had walked with Jesus. They'd spent time with Jesus. That's what they had. Uh, They didn't have Romans. They didn't have the rest of the New Testament, right? They didn't have Acts yet. They were living Acts. They were Acts. They were the Acts of the Apostles. So they had the teachings of Jesus. That's what they had. Secondly, they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. This thing had happened, and it just shaped their lives. It transformed the way that they viewed the world. And finally, now, after Pentecost, they had the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's it. They didn't have a building. They didn't have lots of money. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have lots of programs. They didn't have Bible studies yet. They had the teachings of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, and they had the power of the Holy Spirit. But yet the church spread like wildfire. And it makes us think. How often do we think that to be a truly great church, we need so many other things. But what they had changed the world. We may not be eyewitnesses to the resurrection. We for sure have the teachings of Jesus, and we even get Romans and some other things thrown in. And we may not be witnesses to the resurrection, but I guarantee that every single one of us, if not yourself, has been a witness to something dead come to life. That you are here today because God has done something in your life. Because God has changed your life. You may be at one point in your life felt dead. Maybe today you feel stuck. And you need the Holy Spirit to breathe some life into you and to breathe some life into us as a church. And so we may not have that, but we have seen dead things come to life. We've seen lives transformed around us, and we most certainly today have the same power of the Holy Spirit that they had on that day when it first came. It is so not about us. It is so not about us. But never underestimate that power that you're a part of. We have all of that and more. All those things and more we have today. So we have nothing more that we need. We have nothing more to fear. And because of that, I believe that we are called to be a radical church. If we have nothing to prove anymore, if we have nothing to lose, then God just says, go and be free, like we heard in our scripture today. Go and be free and run that race. Be a radical church. And so today, for the rest of our time, I want to explore some different areas of what does it mean to be a radical church. And for that, let's turn to Acts chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. Two chapters after Pentecost. And I want to look at, what is it? That makes a radical church. What did they have at the beginning. That made them a radical church. Starting at verse 32. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. Let's read that together. If you've got it say I've got it. All right. Starting at verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands and houses sold them, brought the money before the apostles and put it, uh, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had in need. And then it continues there. So I believe that what we just heard, just in those few verses... Is a lot to unpack, and we're going to do some of that today, but this is a description of some of the radical marks of a great church. We have all these different ideas of what a great church is, but I believe just in these few verses, uh, it's pretty clear. So you've got a bunch of ordinary people, just like you and I, who knew they didn't have it all together, just like you and I, but they had power. They had power to be a radical church. So let's unpack this a little bit, little bit. So the first sign that they were a radical church was that they had radical unity. Look at me with, look, uh, with me at verse 32. I believe we got that up on the screen. Let's just read 32 together. All the believers were one in heart and mind. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They were one. So Luke, he's writing the book of Acts, and he points out that one of the indispensable things of a great church is it has radical unity. How important is our unity as a church? Did you know that one of the last things that Jesus prayed for before he left this earth was that we would be one? Listen to this from John chapter 17. Jesus says this as he's praying in the garden. My prayer is not for them alone, the people that are there, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus himself, long even before Acts, Jesus himself says, is saying, What evidence do we have and in what way should we live that makes other people outside the church believe that Jesus is God's son? That we're one. That we're unified. That we love one another well. And so I guess... The opposite of that is not being unified, right? And I think about it, not being unified, bickering with each other, arguing with each other about things that are not important whatsoever makes people think a lot of times that Christians are weird or just cheesy or irrelevant when they fight all the time. And who wants to be a part of something like that? Jesus says to us today, you have to be united. No matter what happens, no matter what's going on in your lives, no matter what disagreements you might have, you have to be united as a church. You remember the, the Summer Olympics uh, uh, two years ago in 2008? I remember watching the rowing. And I think about that image of a rowing team together. What happens if they decide to go in opposite directions? <laughs> Maybe they'd sink or tip over, right, and get get all wet, right? They have to stay in alignment they have to stay unified and they're all rowing together what better picture of a church that's unified we have to be that rowing team that's rowing together we have our differences we're not all alike but we have to be unified i was thinking about you this week i was thinking about us and how for many of you uh th- you look around and you say i'm not like them and then that same person looks back at you and says I am nothing like you either. But somehow, we're a church, right? Somehow, God has brought us together as one family. Some of you, uh, we're so different. Some of you, this is your very first church ever. And you're just kind of exploring, what, what is this Christianity thing all about? What does following Jesus mean? Others of you have been following Jesus for a long time, and you're farther on the journey more differences. We've got people from the suburbs. We've got people from the cities. We've got people with all sorts of different family backgrounds. We've got different political views. We've got different attitudes. We've got different laughs. Have you heard yourself laugh lately? This church laughs a lot and I listen to you and it's really funny. There are a lot of different laughs in this church. We've just got some ha ha ha. We've got some <laughs> we've got some <laughs> We've got some <laughs> <We've> then <got some, laughs> we've got the best one, the silent laugh like that you are so weird sometimes and you are so different at the same time so how can god take a group of people like that with so many different characteristics from so many different walks of life and bring them together it has to be a work of god and it has to be the church i came across this quote from aw tozer this week and i think we'll throw it up on the screen there it's kind of hard to read but i'll read it for you here he says this about unity has it ever occurred to you that a hundred pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord, not by being tuned to each other, but to another standard to which each must individually bow. Isn't that awesome? I love that quote. So just imagine with me up here today. We lined up we line up a hundred pianos all up here. They could be different kinds of pianos, electric electronic pianos, big pianos, little pianos, all sorts of different pianos. Pianos from the city, pianos from the suburbs, pianos with different political backgrounds, pianos that look different, pianos. Some pianos have a lot of money. Some pianos don't have a lot of money. Some pianos have a home. Some pianos don't have a home. And we can line all those pianos up and with one central thing, with one fork, they can all be tuned together and unified. Why would it be any different with a group as diverse as us why would it be any different with the church? Okay, so maybe you're not a music artsy person. Okay, yesterday's game. Let's talk about this a little bit. It would be very, very bad if the cheerleaders got up there and they started leading, let's go Hawks, right? So there's the, there was another team, but we're going to talk about the Hawkeyes. So they, the cheerleaders start, you know, let's go Hawks, let's go Hawks. And so half the stadium is chanting, let's go Hawks. And then the other half of the stadium is like, no, we want to do the wave. So then more of the stadiums doing the wave. And then the, the rest of the stadium is going, I, O, W, A. And all of a sudden it's just, blah. The whole stadium is just in chaos because nobody will work together because nobody is going to follow the cheerleaders. They're not tuned to anything. They're scattered. That would be mass chaos. But the reason that it works is that anybody can be a Hawkeye. Okay, anybody can be a Cyclone too. But anybody can be a Hawkeye. Grandpas can be Hawkeyes. Little babies can be Hawkeyes, right? Loud, obnoxious, boring guys at your party can be Hawkeyes. Anybody can be a Hawkeye. So why would it be any different with the church? It's absolutely beautiful. All of us, not with a fork at the middle, but as we all tune our hearts to Christ at the start of this year on Rally Sunday with all of our hearts tuned towards Christ, imagine what we can accomplish together we don't become one and and don't get me wrong here we don't become one unity doesn't mean laying down all your opinions unity means majoring in the majors and letting the minors be the minors jesus is the major. And we rally around him. I want you to be different. I want us to be a diverse congregation. I want you to have your own opinions. I want you to disagree on things because it makes for really good conversation. It would be boring if we were all similar, right? We don't need a hundred more of you. You're just unique the way you are, so keep on going. But we, we don't need more of you. We need differences. And that's the way that God created us. So to be a great church, having radical unity has to be a huge priority. But I also want to challenge you with this today. Don't just think about it in a church. Think about it individually. You're like, oh yeah, I'm on board with the church. That's great. Awesome. Jesus, I'm on board with that. That's awesome. Thanks. What about you? Is there radical unity in your life? Because if you're anything like me, relationships can get kind of messy sometimes. And if we're called to be have radical unity as a church that means we've got to have that first with each other so maybe that's the first question is there somebody here today that you just need to have that tough conversation with is there something that you kind of been pushing down and holding down that you're not wanting to talk to somebody about or is it somebody in your family is it somebody that you've just been holding a grudge against for all these years jesus says they'll know they'll know about my love if you love each other Not if you harbor anger and bitterness in your hearts toward each other. No matter how difficult the situation is, what does it look like for you to pursue unity in your life today? Okay, so back to Acts 4, if you're still there. So we have radical unity. The second thing that we see in this passage after unity is radical witnessing. Look at verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So the early church, if anything, we know it was unified. We know that it was a witnessing church. In 27 out of 28 chapters in Acts, there are stories of people witnessing. So what do you think the heart of the church was? Witnessing. Absolutely. And so there was never a point in this this church where Peter and all the apostles, they got everybody together and all these people got saved and the Holy Spirit was working and they were healing people and people's lives were getting changed and the synagogues were filling up and people's homes were filling up in their house churches and in their small groups and everything was just busting at the seams and it was going great and then they just stopped one day and said... Oh, oh, oh. this is just getting too much. God, it's too much. Let's just calm things down. This is out of our comfort zone. Let's not invite anybody more. We just like things the way we are. I like the color of the pews. We need to have green jello. All these other people want to have red jello. Let's just keep things the way they are, right? The early church was a witnessing church. They never stopped inviting. Because it was too good to keep to themselves. The news was just too good. There was never a point when they just stopped and said, okay, we're comfortable now. It was the very reason the church existed. But I think so often, I think about this in our time here today. We get hung up on a lot of things. We have a lot of doubts and fears and assumptions about witnessing or evangelism. And we've kind of talked about that uh, before. But you you hear things like, oh... That's just more for the extroverted people, the kind of those radical, crazy Christians. Or, you know, I'm just I'm just really too busy. I can't just, I can't pack one more thing into my schedule. Or how about, you know what, I keep asking, but they just won't come to church. So I guess I'm just going to quit. There's nothing I can do because they won't come through those doors. You know, or maybe, you know what, I'm a mess. I've got a lot of doubts and fears and questions myself. And so I just don't... I, I don't really have anything to say. I mean, I don't even know what I've talked about. I I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of messed up. You're kind of messed up. You have a lot of questions, but you're on this journey. What could be a better witness than that? So maybe we don't have to have it all together. And maybe if you're that person today, maybe you're the perfect person for the job. Maybe that's exactly what Jesus wants. Picture with me for a moment, one of those early disciples walks in here. So Peter walks in here and he's got his robe or his tunic or whatever, and probably a beard. And Peter walks in here today and we're talking about evangelism. And so Peter, right, denied Jesus, screwed up royally, kind of a loud mouth, can't hold his tongue, didn't really know what he believed about Jesus, right? He's had some rough spots in his life. He's got some issues in his relationships and he's standing up here and we're saying, okay, Peter, today at City Branch, we're talking about witnessing and we're talking about evangelism. Uh, and, and we've got, you know, we we're pretty busy people and, and we're not sure we can do that. And, and we're, a lot of us are introverts and we're just not into that sort of thing. And I wonder if Peter would just stand up here and just with a really warm, kind smile, just say, oh, I guess you haven't heard about us then. Underqualified. Overwhelmed. Sometimes unsure of our faith. Yeah. That's us. But have you heard about this power? Have you heard about this power? Seriously, if you knew me, the old Peter and this Peter, this guy from Nazareth, he came and he... And he just turned my world upside down. He came back from the dead. I don't even know what the word evangelism means, but I can't keep it to myself. And 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 he'd stand up here and he'd say, City Branch, I could You want to know about all these miracles? Well, you're looking at one. I am A miracle. He changed my life, and so I started following him and and all that stuff from my past and all the baggage and the wounds I have from my past. He forgave that. Only God can forgive sins, and he came along and he said, Your slate's wiped clean. There's nobody here to condemn you. You gotta know about this jesus guy i've just been telling everybody about him he turned my world upside down and it's so not about me because because i have my insecurities but it's not about my insecurities anymore because i don't really have anything to prove anymore and so witnessing is just kind of who i am it's not an event it's just me wow thanks peter thanks for sharing what would we say to that just kind of all those doubts and fears and insecurities just kind of fall down. Maybe it's time to just dismantle what you think witnessing means. And you know what? We're doing it. You are already doing it. We have dismantled what the idea, the typical idea of witnessing and evangelism, and I've watched you do it for two and a half years. And it is absolutely incredible. I've seen and heard about you inviting your friends, people that don't know Christ, just over for dinner on a regular basis and, and, and loving on him. I've, I've seen you in, in inviting a friend who's outside the church and you've raked his lawn and you cleaned out his gutters and you shoveled his driveway. I've heard about people encouraging a coworker to find hope in a tough week. I've heard about you bringing meals to people that just had a new baby. I've heard about you mentoring kids here in the city, even inviting your friends and co-workers here to worship. And you see you're already doing it. You already are. But ultimately, I want to ask you this question when we talk about witnessing. What are we inviting people into? Is the end all of what we're inviting into is to get their butt in a seat? Is that it? Is that the only way to witness to someone? Absolutely not. We are not inviting people to be an audience member. We're not inviting people to come and just sing a few songs with us on Sunday. We are inviting people to say, that guy changed my life, and I'm not perfect, but I'm following him. Most often it's going to start with a relationship. Jesus invited 12 ordinary messed up guys into a relationship. And he said, follow me, do life with me. And so why would witnessing be any different? You find some people around you and say, come, let's just do life together. I'm not going to preach at you. Just come, just come and see, and let's do life together. I pray that we would be a church that remembers that witnessing is not just preaching to people. It's inviting them into your life, having them watch your life, and that it's something about you is so contagious, and this joy and this peace that you have is so contagious that they would look at your life and they would say, Ah, I want that. I want that. Whatever you have, I want that. Tell me about that. Okay, back to Acts chapter 4. So we've got radical unity, and we've got radical witnessing. Next, the third mark of a great church is radical grace. Look at verse 32 through 33. 32 through 33. Just kind of the end of 32 there. It says, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. So in in Greek, the phrase here literally means mega grace, (laughs) right? Much grace, it means mega grace. Wouldn't you love to have that be said of you? as an individual or as a church, that we're a church that has mega grace, that we're not just nice people. I don't want to just be a nice person. Mega grace, mega grace. And that, that someone would say, man, I, I'm, I'm so glad that I was around Bill. I'm so glad that I was around Bill. I'm so glad that I'm at City Branch because, because I'm, I'm going through a divorce. Because I haven't seen my dad in 15 years. Because I'm not sure if the resurrection really happened. I, I'm, I'm so glad because I didn't get judged. Because I just got all this stuff in my life that's getting worked through. And I'm so glad. Radical grace. And because of that radical grace, I met Jesus. Wow, wouldn't that be awesome to have somebody say that about you? Mega grace. Grace. So then what does mega grace lead to? I believe it leads to generosity. So the last mark of a great church, the fourth point, the overflow of grace is radical generosity. When we experience God's grace ourselves, it's, it's not hard to be generous. I've heard it said that generosity follows grace like thunder follows lightning. Think about that the next time you hear a thunderstorm. Generosity follows grace like thunder follows lightning. They just go together. There were no needy persons among them. Verse 34, from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money for the, uh, for the apostles, and it was distributed to anyone as he had a need. And as we look at this, I think it'd be easy to just pass off as like, well, the early was they were just communists, right? Every, everything was everybody's, right? Just a bunch of communists. Oh, okay. But I wonder if it's deeper than that. Look at this. Look at this. It's a description of a community of people who are so overwhelmed with God's grace that they've, been giving, they've given up claiming things as their own. And they live with this posture. What would it look like if we lived with this posture of our hands open? Saying, God, I want to be a generous person. I want to give it back to you. And so often we think about generosity. We think, oh, you just want my money. No, I, just don't, I don't want your money. God just wants your everything. And whatever that looks like, he just wants you to live open. And it could be your stuff, and it could be your time, and it could be your finances, or it could be your gifts. And maybe it's playing in the worship band, or maybe it's just standing at the door with a warm smile and greeting somebody. Maybe it's working at the home of a family in need. Because it's all from a surrendered heart. It's not always because we feel like it, but because we've been given so much and we're working for God, not the approval of others. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says this. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What? Let's read that again. Their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in much generosity. When's the last time that you put severe trial and extreme poverty and joy in the same sentence. What in the world can that be all about? So often we think, I can't be generous because I don't have that much money in the bank. I can't be generous because, because I just have all these insecurities and, and, and doubts. I, I can't give back because I, I don't know the last time I read my Bible and, and I don't know where I'm going to be sleeping tonight and you, know, you don't know the pain that I've been dealing with in my life right now. But what if we could learn to find joy and peace no matter what situation of life we're in, that our joy is not dependent on our circumstances, but it's dependent on him. And so I just want to ask you as we close today, what's keeping you on the sideline? If it's rally day and it's time to get in the game of life, what's keeping you on the sideline? What's keeping you from jumping in with two feet? Jesus says, I created this. I created this church, this community, and I know that it's not perfect. And I know that you might have been hurt before. I know that life is really hard right now. I know you think, I, I could never I could never serve in that way. I, I, I could never make it in a small group. They just wouldn't believe what I've done. I, I just don't have the time. And, 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 and Jesus, in fact, I'd just, I just rather play it safe. I'd rather just stay on the sideline and I'll just kind of pop in and out when I feel like it. But Jesus says, Are you just going to stay on the sideline and never really go deep with anything? And if you are, you're going to miss out. I don't want you to miss out today. Every year at this time, I'm inspired by a lot of incredible stories in sports. And for some reason, obviously it's football season and I always come back to this one. Rudy Rudiger was a walk-on football player at Notre Dame in the 70s. And just like the early church, he was underqualified overwhelmed and he wondered if it was all worth it and his life dream his entire life since he was little was to play for the university of notre dame and after two years he sticks with the practice squad he never makes it on the field but he sticks he just his body takes a pounding every day he thinks about quitting every day and finally one day he said that's it life is just too difficult things aren't going my way i'm gonna quit I'm just going to throw in the towel. It's not worth it. Things just aren't working out. And so one day he needs to be reminded of who he is and what he was created to do. Let's take a look. Hey, 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 hey. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore. I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I don't know. I just don't see the point anymore. So you didn't make the dress list. There are greater tragedies in the world. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. To prove to everybody. Prove that I worked what? That I was somebody. Oh, you are so full of crap. You're five feet nothing. A hundred and nothing. And you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't going to never happen. Now go on back. I'm sorry I never got you to see your first game in here. Hell, I've seen too many games in this stadium. I thought you said you never saw a game. I've never seen a game from the stands. You were a player? I rode the bench for two years. Thought I wasn't being played because of my color. I got filled up with a lot of attitude. So I quit. Still not a week goes by, I don't regret it. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life. You won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of you. You hear me clear enough? keeping you on the sidelines maybe today you feel you know I used to be in the game I used to be there and I used to know what it was like to have that relationship with God and have my life all straightened out but maybe life has just gotten the best of you or maybe you're just sitting here today and you're asking do I really have anything to offer I'm five feet nothing a 100 nothing what is my role here Is there a place for me? Am I really needed? And God says, you better believe you are. And this isn't just a pep talk. This is the words of the God who created you saying today, it's not about you, it's about my power. It's not about us trying to be the next cool and hip and trendy church. It's about my power in you as the church. Today is Rally Sunday, and today is the day that our coach looks us in the eyes to every single one of us and says, you're in. It's time. It's time to start playing the game. It's time to be a great, radical church with radical unity, radical witnessing, radical grace and radical generosity. And as we go back to this story, it just it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. After a lifetime of dreaming and doubting and fighting and persevering, little Rudy gets his chance to suit up for Notre Dame. But of course, he thinks, "I'm just here. I'm just filling up a seat. I'm not needed. I guess I'll just stay on the bench. After all, there's plenty of others that'll play. I'll just stay on the sidelines. But the people around him, and we'll call it a worshiping community of 90,000 Notre Dame fans, believes that he shouldn't quit. Believes that it's time to get off the bench and get into the game. What's your bench today Why are you riding the bench? What's holding you back from giving it everything you've got and being a part of this community that God says is called the church? It's time. Let's take a look. The game was on. And his coach looks him in the eyes and says, stay in, stay in. Don't quit today. Today is Rally Sunday. It's time to get off the bench and be who we are created to be, a radical church with the power of God behind us. What could be better than that? Let's pray.